the 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 thought world that the um, biblical authors lived in was ancient Near Eastern, Hebraic, and Greco-Roman thought. We live in modern Western, post-Enlightenment, post-modern. Now they're calling it post-postmodern. Post, I'm not even sure what that yeah. is. Yeah, we're post-liberal. We're post-Christian. We're you know post a lot of things. We're post. Um, we're just yes, quite way post, and uh, and so uh, and, and so we're postmodern or post postmodern, and we're talking about a text that is pre-modern, and so we're separated uh, by two thousand years and by very different habits of mind and very different expectations of things like what's the good life and even what does a family look like. Thank you for tuning in into the New Life Church Downtown podcast. If you would like to get connected, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or email us at downtown.podcast at newlifechurch.tv. Hey, what's going on, New Life Church? Welcome back to another episode of the Downtown Podcast. Uh, you got Pastor Bronson here, and we've got a special guest with us today. Uh, he is my friend slash uh, ambiguous relation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> named Dr. Brandon O'Brien. Uh, what's going on, Dr. B? Oh, man, it's good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we are going to be kicking off uh, a podcast, and I don't know how many episodes of this we're going to do, but we're going to do uh, a podcast called Foundations, and that's kind of going to be our theme for these next few weeks. And so, uh, Dr. B, uh, you are from Arkansas? Yes. Grew up in Bentonville. Born in El Dorado, but I don't really remember that part of my life all that much. But grew up in Bentonville, went to Washita in uh, Arkadelphia. So Arkansas boy until, uh, yeah, right into adulthood. Let's go. And then you went to Chicago, right? That's right. Yep. Went to Wheaton College just outside of Chicago. And we were there for almost, I guess, for eight years before we moved back to Arkansas in twenty. 13, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and uh, got to help out with launching OBU at New Life Church, now NLC College. That's right. And um, we're there back in Arkansas for about three years and are now in Manhattan. So he, this man is selling himself short. Uh, he, <laughs> he was the, you were the OG dean uh, of NLC College, right? That's true. Yeah. 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 And so uh, when when he when you were in Chicago, you were also working on a book, correct? Yep. I was working on a PhD and um, in 2012 wrote uh, co-authored a book with a former professor, a good friend of mine named Randy Richards. Um, the book was called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. I, I love it. Uh, I'm pumped because I think that I know for me in my own faith journey, like as I read more and as I like really explored the scriptures and maybe got exposed to some different authors, I had some aha moments. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, when I would read the scripture, a lot of times it was like, something's just not connecting, but I mm -hmm. couldn't figure out what it was. And so what I found is, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but we're separated not only by time, but also by thought. From the scripture yeah so the bible is um you know 66 books that were compiled over 
many hundreds of years. The 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 most recent ones are you know two thousand years old, um, and some of the books of the prophets are you know much older than that. And um, the 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 thought world that the um, biblical authors lived in was ancient Near Eastern, Hebraic, and Greco-Roman thought. We live in modern Western, post-Enlightenment, post-modern. Now they're calling it post-postmodern. Post, I'm not even sure what that yeah. is. Yeah, we're post-liberal. We're post-Christian. We're you know post a lot of things. We're post. Um, we're just yes, quite way post. And um, and so uh, and, and so we're post-modern or post-postmodern, and we're talking about a text that is pre-modern. And so we're separated uh, by 2,000 years and by very different habits of mind and very different expectations of things like what's the good life and even what does a family look like? Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that uh, in a lot of talk about the, we'll just jump into uh, controversy here. With yep. The um, the wearing of masks, you know. Oh yeah, let's do people, it. A lot we just of people had talking, that past here. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're in, being in New York, we've been under uh, mask requirements since March, or maybe not since March, but for a long time. So it's kind of old news for us. Um, I say just wear one. My six-year-old wears one. You can do it too. But the um, what I hear in the conversations a lot of the time is the conversation is about parents and children, right? Mm-hmm. Children are unlikely to get sick. Parents need to work, send your kids to school, et cetera. I think it's interesting that's when we talk about family, we automatically think of, you know, parents and a couple of kids. That's the family. Hmm. But I live in a predominantly Latino neighborhood where family very often means grandparents, parents, children, all in one house, and can mean aunties, uncles, you know, it's a, a, a much larger, what, what they mean by immediate family is much larger. Um, the biblical world had a more similar view to that, which is when you say something about a family or the household, we might picture two parents and two kids. They're going to picture two parents, eight kids, four grandparents, aunts and uncles. You know, it's just so even those things that are very simple, like what is the family? Mm-hmm. Um, we have very different kind of gut level uh, understandings of some of those kinds of things. And that makes a difference when we read the Bible. So um, that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, yeah. So w- would you say it's fair to say that it's not surprising that people struggle with how to read the word? Oh yeah. Yeah. We talk. Yes. I, the Bible, reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. So we're, we're engaging a culture that's unfamiliar to us mm-hmm. without any real help because it's just words on a page. So we don't get, you know, we don't get a smile or a laugh or a handshake or, you know, you don't get any help like you get in a cross-cultural experience in real life. The the things are on the page and there were assumptions that they made that you don't make. And so there's a lot of stuff to read between the lines. And I think a lot of times we add guilt to people by, um, by just talking about reading the Bible as if it's simple. And if you just sit down and did it for 10 minutes a day, then you'll get everything you need to get out of it. And then when people sit down for 10 minutes a day and they try and they don't understand it, they feel defeated that they, you know, I'm not smart enough or I'm not spiritual enough or I'm not whatever. And so I would want folks to feel liberated by the knowledge that it is hard. And of course it's hard because 
it's a giant book that's 2000 years old and uh, you're having a cross-cultural experience without a guide mm. when you read the Bible. Wow. Right? And that, that doesn't mean that we can't make progress, but it means that if you encounter some challenge, then you're like everyone else. <laughs> so at the very least, we're all in this together. It's hard for everyone. Um, and it takes, you know, you have to, to, to condition the muscles and kind of get used to it uh, before you can make the kind of progress you want to. Wow. I love that. Uh, I think that's such an accurate way to say it is you're, you're having a cross-cultural experience without a guide. Uh, for me, I've realized through the years, like I, I read the word and I, I read the word you know, as part of my disciplines, but I've also realized that if I don't read books along with it, I tend to, it's almost like I hit this invisible ceiling where I just get, it's not that I get lost in it, but it's almost like I can't quite sink my teeth into it. And then it's always in learning more outside of the scripture that helps me really learn more within the scripture. Um, and so, uh, let's do this, man. Let's just jump in. I'd, I'd love to hear, um, your thoughts, what you've learned. Um, obviously you wrote a book on it. And so I'd love to just hear from you, man. Like what, what has helped you? Uh, yeah. What's been your experience with it and what would you, what would you tell us? Yeah. So let's do it this way. I think what I would say is I have, I have, uh, I've been at this long enough that I now kind of have a, I don't know, a habit or an approach or whatever that I, that makes sense for me. Right. And I think that it maybe will speak into what we're talking about. And I think that um, when I read the Bible, I'm always looking at sort of three dynamics. Um, somebody would call them three horizons. So like looking at the, um, you know, I'm nearsighted without my glasses so I can see up close. I need something to help me see further away. Um, and so, I, so that's what I mean by horizons, kind of looking right close, a little further, a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three sort of levels, um, that I want to talk about are all essential. And we, we, we always talk about one of them. We sometimes talk about the second one and we almost never talk about the third one. Right. Okay. So, so I want to kind of un- unpack those if that feels like a helpful. Let's do it. So. All right. So the first, um, the first uh, horizon or the sort of first level that you have to read at is uh, what's in the Bible. Like, what are the actual words on the page in the passage that I'm reading? Um, and that may sound really overly simplistic, but I think it's really important to kind of train yourself to see like. What's actually what what words are repeated, for example, mm. in this passage? Um, you know, uh, what's the structure? Like, is it poetry? Is it a story? Is it a letter? You know, there's that kind of the sort of like, what is what is this piece of literature that I'm dealing with? Right. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so some of that has to do with genre. Some of it has to do with um, rhetorical devices. And you kind of learn over time that different authors have have different styles. So Mark, for example, um, really likes pairs. So he likes the, um, you know, Jairus's daughter and the the woman uh, who's been bleeding for 12 years and the daughter's 12 years old and the woman's been, you know, so he likes these pairs to compare and contrast. And he does that all through the book, right? And so then you start to pick up on like, oh, this is a thing that he does in, in this passage. 
Mm. So without looking anywhere else, just in the passage, I get certain clues about how to interpret it. Um, and one way I like to think about this is, you know, once you know what you're reading, you sort of automatically read it differently. So when I get an electric bill that starts out, dear valued customer, blah, 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 blah. I don't care about any of that. Uh, I just want, what's the bottom line? You know, like yeah. how much do I owe? Yeah. And so how bad is once, it? How bad is it? What's the damage? Um, I think in, uh, so once like our brain just automatically, like I've, I determined that this is a bill, therefore I'm going to read it as if it's a bill. Right. Um, but if I get a letter from somebody that I care about hmm. and it starts out, you know, dear friend, I don't go blah, 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 blah. What's the bottom line? You know, like I read it differently. How much do you love me? <laughs> How much do you love me? Or what do I owe? Right. Yeah. You know, that's that question. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that the, um, so you're, you just automatically read those things differently. And so I think if we're reading the gospels, we're reading stories of mm. the life of Jesus. If we're reading the letters of the new Testament, we're reading, you know, something that was written by one person and sent to a recipient and we're kind of reading someone else's mail. And so that affects how we look at it. And if we're reading Proverbs, we're reading wise sayings that are usually true, but there's going to be exceptions. You know, so raise a child in the way he should go and he will never depart from it for the most part. But we can all think of exceptions, right? And that does, yep. does that does that mean that the Bible is wrong? No, it means that that genre of literature is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is giving you a rule of thumb that this is the better way to live, right? Hmm. Um, and so that's just sort of in the text. It's the, um, and, and kind of disciplining yourself to look carefully in uh at the passage without quickly jumping to conclusions right um i think i was trained at, at washita my undergrad um degree was at washita and we used the book grasping god's word um which at the time was just a bunch of handouts now it's a book and uh it has been for a while but that book it has exercises where you just go through and like circle all the verbs and underline all the nouns and do it like just paying very close attention to the passage. And it's amazing what you begin to see if you're just reading in the text carefully, right? Just looking at it. Um, and so that's the first place to start the kind of first horizon is what, what's on the page in, in this passage. Um, and I usually encourage a book like James is kind of, you know, it troubles some people because he talks about faith without work is dead and all this kind of stuff. That's one of those books that I think it's five chapters long. I believe it's five chapters long. That means you could read a chapter every morning and then like on Saturday morning, you could read the whole thing and you could take Sunday off because you're going to church anyway, right? And then you can kind of do it. But like really without reading any commentaries or doing anything else, if you just sort of sat in that mm. message over and over, yeah. you begin to see repetition and you see patterns and you see other things that's all right there in the text. Wow. Um, and so that's the kind of the first one. I think that's, and that's where a lot of people stop, right? Is that, is just with it's me and my Bible alone, cup of coffee, and I'm just looking at what's in the text. And it's critical, it's an essential place, but it, it's just one of three layers that we want to look yeah. at. This relatively so, very helpful can, can so far. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my question for you is, I, one, I love that discipline of reading. So when I was in Bible school, 
they gave me kind of a similar thing. Read through there, um, notice kind of the therefores, what's it there for, you know, all that yep. stuff. Yep. Uh, yep. Then read read through it from from the whole perspective. But let me ask you this question. What would you say for somebody who's like, okay, you're talking about letters, you're talking about profits, you're talking about poetry. How do I know what's what? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, I think uh, a very practical short answer is a good study Bible mm. at the beginning at the beginning of a book of the Bible yep. will give you a, a two-page explanation of what is this thing I'm dealing with here, right? Um, and it and we'll might link even, one up in this. We'll link one up in the show notes that people yeah, can good. click on. Perfect. Yeah. So I think a good study Bible will tell you about the genre. It'll tell you even about some themes. So you know. Luke loves to talk about the poor and you're going to see that over and over. And it's just kind of help, helpful to get that frame of reference before you start. Or, you know, even if you think of like second Corinthians, right, that means it's the second letter to the Corinthians. That means there was the first letter to the Corinthians. And so even that <laughs> yeah. kind of, and a good study Bible that that's the kind of stuff that's sort of obvious. If you think about it, nobody stops to think about it. And so yeah. the Bible will just say, Hey, by the way, keep this in mind when you're reading. And that's a really good. helpful um, sort of thing. Uh, there's a, Bible, a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, um, which is kind of an old book. Um, is it this and, book? Uh, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. By <laughs> Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. Yes. And uh, that's another great, it's like a, I mean, it's not a big book, maybe, maybe 200 pages. Uh, maybe not, but we're looking at like, two, 253 there, Dr. B, which okay. by the way, this was gifted to me by uh, Austin McCaskill, the other guy I do the podcasting with. So there you go. All right. There you go. Yeah. It's a, it's sort of like, it'll tell, tell you about genres. It'll tell you, so that's one of those kind of easy tools, you know, a good study Bible, a good introductory book like that um, can kind of help you. Something like grasping God's word will give you introductions to um, what the different genres are. Um, and we get a little bit of help by the way the Bible's organized. So you have the, sort of literary books together with Job and Ecclesiastes and Psalms and you know you kind of have they're kind of lumped but you still could use a little bit of help understanding what those uh what those different types are I'll link up this book you guys can't see what we're talking about but I'll link this up uh, in the show notes as well. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. This is the second recommendation we've gotten on it and so we gotta we gotta check it out. Good. That's right. Good. Um so yeah, so there's the sort of what's in the Bible, and that's essential. I think I don't want to undersell this point because I think it's really important that a lot of people um, will. There are certain things and uh, that get passed around in Christian circles or in American culture as something that we think are in the Bible, and they're actually not. Things like a penny saved is a penny earned, or you know, <laughs> something like that. You know, I think that's Ben Franklin. It's not, you know, it's not the Bible. Uh, it's still good advice. Doesn't mean it's heresy. It's just yeah. means that it's not actually in the text. And so I think it's a good discipline to kind of start out with like, let's, let's just pay attention to what's actually in on the page that I'm reading and read it closely and carefully. Right. Yep. So that's, um, that's one, the kind of the first horizon. Um, the second horizon that I think some people get to, but, uh, but uh, it's not on a lot of, not on everyone's radar is what's behind the Bible. Right. Mm. And, by that I mean the kind of original context of the of, of the audience, the the biblical times audience, right? So if Paul is writing to the Corinthians, 
asking a, about what's behind the Bible is asking what's going on in the world of the church in Corinth when they receive this letter. What is the, you know, what's the political situation like? What's the economic situation like? You know, what, what kinds of, how does that help us understand what he's saying in this letter if we understand a little bit more about the world in which the letter was written and received? Does hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I think, um, yeah, so I think the, the, there's a lot here. The Bible does geography a lot. You know, it says this person went from this town to this town, yeah. and this person was from there. And we skip over that stuff because we don't care. I think that's really helpful context to understand that, like, that means that Jesus has gone from a Jewish city to a Gentile city, or that means, wow. you know, this. so there's these kind of cultural shifts. Again, a good study Bible can help um, with that, that kind can of I, stuff. Can I interject? That makes yeah. me think, like, here in Arkansas, it's like they went from downtown Little Rock to Pine Bluff or downtown Little Rock to Greenbrier, we all think of things immediately. We know right. who lives in the town, the culture that's there. And so you're saying the same thing exists within the scripture. We're like, yeah. they're leaving a place, going to another place, and there's implications that that's you right. know the first century reader would catch that we that's might right. not. That's right. Interesting. Well, that's yeah, good. and you think, so you think of, uh, you remember in the beginning of the book of John, um, one of the first disciples goes and finds his his friend. He's like, "Come, come with me. I've I've met Jesus of Nazareth." Yeah. And um, the friend's response is, "Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Yeah. You know? And so there's there's um, he wasn't being pious. He was just being he's he's dealing in the cultural woof. Uh, he's from Nazareth. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And so even like the the um, early Christians were called Galileans, not Christians. They were referred to as Galileans. And so they were known by the place they were from. Mm. And the place they were from was, it's like calling them rednecks or something. It's like, those are backwater, Hickville, country, whatever people, which is why the Romans were so annoyed. They're like, these stupid rednecks are causing so much problem wow. for me. You know what I'm saying? And so, but if we don't know what the kind of... um if we don't understand what the gut level reaction to a particular place might have been, uh, then we don't feel the force of a passage the way uh, the original hearers would have heard it, right? I mean, it's and like so, be, being here in Arkansas, right? Like, I love it. I had no idea how great it is. But, you know, when I wasn't from here, I'm like, Ar seriously, somebody told me to come <laughs> visit Arkansas. And I said, uh, what's in Arkansas? <laughs> like literally that's that was my response when my buddy called me and then i mean you just don't know and so that's yeah. that's that's so good man thank you that's great I, that, that helps me well and i'm wondering if you uh, remember the book of ruth do you can you remember where ruth is from no but they refer to her as over and over again in the book of ruth every time before the final chapter i believe well don't hold me to that it may not be every time but most of the time in the book of ruth Ruth is referred to as the Moabite woman. Mm, so yes, it's not yes, she just, is. It's not just Ruth. It's Ruth the Moabite woman. Yeah. Because the narrator wants you to remember that we're not talking about a faithful Israelite here. We're talking about a foreigner who's from a country that we despise. Ruth, wow. The Moabite woman. But what does she do that's remarkable? She shows all the faith that you would expect from a faithful Israelite, but she isn't one. 
she's a foreigner, she's an outsider, she's a widow, she doesn't have any family there, she doesn't have any historical connection to Israel's God, and yet she shows the kind of faith that you would expect from the, you know, the, the Israelite characters. Um, and then by the end of it, she becomes the great grandmother of King David, right? Wow. And so, so the line of Jesus doesn't go through like some, some pure biological genetic Israelite line, right? It goes through this Moabite woman who by faith entered God's family and then God uses to, you know, advance his wow. plan. And they give us clues that this is radical because they just say over and over, Ruth the Moabite woman, Ruth the Moabite woman, Ruth the Moabite mm-hmm. woman, right? They're just reminding you she doesn't she doesn't belong here. Um, and so, but again, if you don't really know what's the what's the connotation of being a Moabite, then, then or even know. to pay attention to rep- the repetition, you know, that's, that's something right. that my Bible uh, professors always said is if something's said a couple of times. There's, right. there's a reason for it. And yeah. so try to sort out why is this being emphasized? That's right. Yeah. I had a professor who put it this way that like copying the Bible by hand is expensive and time consuming. So <laughs> they're not just repeating themselves because they didn't notice they already said that. It's because it's really important. <laughs> so, so, but that's a good connection to the previous point. So um, I know, I should know if I'm looking in the text you know, the words on the page, that being a Moabite woman is important because it's mentioned over and over and over and over again. That clue Mm. comes to me from the text itself. So what I might do if I'm reading the book of Ruth and I read over and over and I clue in to the fact that, oh gosh, they they keep referring to her as a Moabite woman. Why is this important? Then I look behind the text to try to find some explanation about why Ruth's identity as a Moabite woman is important for understanding this passage. Hmm. And one way you can do that is just like go to BibleGateway.com. I use that all the time and search for Moabite or Moab, you know, which is the the place where Moabite comes from. And uh, what you find is that through Israel's history, Moab was like a really terrible place and origins (laughs) matter in the Bible. So if you're from Nazareth, you're never going to do anything great. If you're from Moab, you're always going to be a sleaze bag because that's wow. just what Moabites are like, right? Um, and so you can do a little re- research there. Again, your study Bible can kind of help you parse it out. But I think it's worth mentioning that like, I, I don't necessarily encourage go get your PhD in biblical context. Just pay attention to the, in the text. And when you run over some sort of repetition or some detail that seems like it must be important because the passage is pointing out that it's important, then you can look at another resource that can kind of help you understand why that repetition is there, right? So that's those good. Two, that kind of in the text and behind the text are linked in that way. Um, and sometimes behind the text is other parts of the Bible. So there's plenty in, uh, I believe it's in Exodus and even in Genesis about the, the Moabites and why they're terrible. And so you can kind of put the pieces together there. And then you could say, it seems like, Maybe the fact that she's a Moabite is important because of these places in the Bible that talk about Moabites. And then you read, uh, you know, a commentary or a part of the study Bible that, that confirms that. And now you've kind of pulled the pieces together. That's good. I love it. Um, so the, the what's behind the text, I think, is really important. I think 
if you just sit down yourself in the Bible and read the book of Revelation, you're going to be lost. And mm. it's just, and it's not because you're not smart. It's because it's a confusing book until you recognize that there's a lot going on in the first century world that makes sense of those weird images and all that kind of stuff, right? And so the behind the text stuff can really help you make sense of what you're seeing in the text that you can't quite make sense of. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think uh, there's actually a couple of really helpful resources too that there, there are a couple of books uh, one's like a week in the life and one's a day of the life, I think, but it's like day in the life of a, of a Roman slave or a week in the life of a Roman yeah. woman, those kinds yeah. of books. And they're, they actually are just really, they're engaging. They're interesting because they tell stories, but they're full of little details about what the world of the, especially the new Testament world is like. Um, and so, and they're, they're pretty short, engaging, good stories. And they'll have lots of footnotes or sidebars of things. If you want to really dig into the research, you can, but you don't have to. Um, and so there's good resources uh, to kind of help you in that area as well. That's good. Um, Thank you. That's, that's two of the three. The third one is actually the one I'm uh, kind of most committed to personally, because a lot of people are doing really good work on those first two. And, uh, but the third one is what I call is what's, We've talked about what's in the Bible, what's behind the Bible, that's the context. Um, but we also have to be aware of what's in front of the Bible, which is to say, um, I don't ever read, I, I'm not neutral when I read the Bible. I bring all kinds of personal experiences. I bring cultural values and understandings about things, presuppositions. And all of that is constantly in play when I'm reading the Bible. Hmm. And so that's, that's stuff that I, that's like baggage that I carry with me that sort of sits between me and the Bible as a filter. So I think of it as kind of in front of the Bible, like the, the words of the scriptures have to pass through all of my own cultural assumptions and, and personal experience, et cetera, uh, before it gets to me. Right. Wow. And, and that stuff influences what I see and what I don't see. And so this can be kind of intimidating because it uh, it sounds really scary and it's uh, it's not so bad. I have some practical advice, but I think a really good example of how our our sort of uh, cultural assumptions play in is uh, when we read the Bible is um, I like to use the example of Acts chapter four. I think it happens in Acts chapter two as well, right at the end of Acts for, um, let's see if I have the passage in front of me. It starts at verse 32. Um, do you have that? Like, uh, yep, Acts 4, 32. I am turning to it. You can hear the pages. <laughs> Those pages. That's an right. analog Bible. I like that. Yeah. Uh, 432, how far do you want me to read? Just read 32 for right now. Well, that's okay. Enough. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Great. So, yeah, so we can stop there for just a second. This, this passage, all the believers, basically they decide, compelled by the Holy Spirit, that none of them will uh, keep their own property for themselves. In Acts chapter 2, it says something about selling 
you know, many of them sold what they had yep. so that there was no poor among them. So when I hear this passage preached, and I hear it occasionally, almost always the first thing that the preacher will say is, obviously, this is not socialism, right? And obviously, the Bible doesn't have any problem with private property. So whatever it means, it doesn't mean socialism, and it doesn't mean that private property is bad. Yeah. Um, now, I don't have any problem with those conclusions if you test it yeah. against, the, about, against what's behind the text, the original hmm. context, etc. But any time we read a, Bi a Bible verse and say, obviously, comma, we're already dealing with a cultural presupposition, right? Hmm. So the fact that we can look at that and say, obviously, this passage does not violate my understanding of economics. Like I'm already dealing in a world of of my own cultural presuppositions, deciding what the Bible means before I even read it. Wow, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so you know, and I I came at this as a my background is in church history, and so I would read a lot of the reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and others, and they would a lot of their arguments would begin like, as any rational person would agree, dot dot dot. And then I would disagree and I would think, how is it that with some of them, like Martin Luther, he was just so stubborn that he probably did think that anyone who disagreed with him was irrational. But yeah. there's also this assumption that like, I'm reading, I'm looking at the text and I'm taking the plain meaning from the text. It's obvious. But the reason it's obvious is because I'm importing some meaning from my own experience or context, right? And so what I would encourage... What I would encourage people to do is to say, if I look at that and say, obviously that's not a, that doesn't mean anything is wrong with private property ownership or whatever. Then the first thing I would do is to say, why do I assume that? Yeah. Why would I assume that the Bible, that a first century Middle Eastern peasant culture from 2000 years ago would have the same understandings of economics that I have? Like, why would mm. I assume that? So it's just like just a pause um, whenever. And, and I think for me, it's like the, the word obviously is kind of the clue. Right. And we don't always say that We're not in our quiet time, like obviously, you know, but, but I think if you're sort of having that impulse of saying, well, it can't mean this and it can't mean that. Why? Why can't it mean those things? Hmm. And sometimes it's because it conflicts with other parts of scripture yeah. or because it's contrary to the gospel or something else. But sometimes it's because. It's not that it can't mean that, it's that I don't want it to mean that. Yeah. Or that I can't imagine that it means that because I think in a very different sort of way. Right. And so I want to be clear that I'm not advocating either for socialism or for the end of private property. But I think that that's one of those passages where, um, as often as I have heard that passage preached, I've heard somebody bring in one of those cultural assumptions immediately. Obviously, it can't mean this. And I think anytime uh, we're limiting what the Bible has the permission to say to us, we're mm. we're in dangerous we're in a dangerous place, right? So let's um, let's talk about that. Unpack like yeah. so. What's what's the risk? What's the risk? Yeah. So like if if you're doing that, like if you're allowing and, and you're not thinking critically like that about what you're reading. Yeah. What, what's the kind of like, what are the implications of just allowing your presuppositions to direct what you read? Yeah. Well, I think the big, 
maybe the simplest way to say this and the least controversial is that the risk is that for all our effort to listen to what the Bible says and make it the authority in our life, we're actually making our own experience and our own cultural perspective the authority over the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we say, obviously, this passage can't mean these five things, then what we're really saying is these five interpretations are culturally unacceptable unacceptable to me. Therefore, I, I won't believe them. Yeah. They can't be true. And so we're saying, on the one hand, that the Bible is directing our life. But in actual practice, the way we're interpreting it, we're letting our culture, our personal perspective, interpret the Bible. And that's something that we actively say we shouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I think the risk is that we can, with the right intentions and the right motives, end up doing the opposite of what we say we're doing, which is letting the Bible speak and then us conforming to it. Um, and so mm. I think that um, other examples are like, um, you know, things that we decide totally uh, unconsciously are or are not culturally determined. So people fight. I mean, there were people, you know, killed during the Reformation over uh, modes of baptism. Somebody sprinkled, or are they, you know, dunked, or are they? It does it happen to adults? Does it happen to children? Um, you know, I've heard Pastor Rick tell the story about baptizing somebody. The ear, you know, the ear, you know. Yeah. Um, so the ear didn't so, go under. That's right. And so a lot of people are, there, there have been battle, literal battles fought and denominations formed and everything over the interpretation of the verb to baptize. And does it mean to go under? Does it mean to go sprinkle? Et cetera, right? Yeah. And we believe that that mode of baptism is universally applicable and through all times and all ages is important. But what about head coverings for women in church? What about greeting one another with a holy kiss? What about washing each other's feet? Right? So there's as much said about those things as about baptism, but we just decide automatically that culturally those things were are irrelevant to us today, but the mode of baptism is really important. Now I'm not saying that the mode of baptism isn't important, but I am wondering if maybe washing each other's feet and greeting each other with a holy kiss and wearing head coverings of worship are more important than we think they are Hmm. because we just without thinking just said they don't matter it's because culturally they don't mean anything to us Hmm. but but baptism does mean something to us culturally right and so without our without even thinking about it we let our cultural lens determine um what's important in the passage, what's not important, um, what's a possible interpretation and what's not a possible interpretation, um, which things need further exploration, like the mode of baptism and which things don't, head coverings, ah, who cares? That's just head coverings, right? And so I think the risk then is that we're making more decisions than we realize about what the Bible says without actually giving the Bible a a thorough listen. and so I think that that, yeah. And then you can apply it to any number of issues um, over, you know, the, there are big, there are things that we tend to not see in scripture um, because our cultural 
location, again, filters out, well, those things aren't as important. Um, so we hear something in the Old Testament about dishonest scales. And we're like, I don't know. We don't weigh things like that anymore. I guess that doesn't matter. He's like, no, you're talking about cheating people at work. Mm. So, you know, so do we filter out that whole passage about, you know, about this thing because culturally it seems irrelevant to us when in fact it's very relevant for us um, if we can kind of check ourselves and go, wait, why did I dismiss that? Or why do I not want this to be true? <laughs> or why do I really want this to be true? Or, you know, those kinds of things can help us examine um, what it is that we're taking for granted when we read the Bible. Um, and this is where having the, the kind of the awareness that the Bible is a cross-cultural experience is really important. Um, I think the, um, an example I really like to use, and this is a fun experiment, if you go on Bible Gateway, hold on, I'm going to get the reference wrong. Um, it's the passage that uh, um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you not yeah. know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, everybody listening should go to BibleGateway.com. And if you know how to, if you've used it before, you can open several translations and have them side by side. Um, what's really interesting, if you look at that text, is that uh, translators have a hard time translating that passage into English because in the Greek, all the words for you are plural and all the words for temple are singular. And our brains just don't work that way. So what he's saying is not your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but your plural body mm. singular is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that has a pretty significant implications for what that means, right? So it probably doesn't mean what your grandmother said it meant, which was that you shouldn't get tattoos or drink, you know, smoke cigarettes because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You might ought to not get tattoos or drink cigarettes. Well, you shouldn't drink cigarettes, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think, Kids drinking I think cigarettes. <laughs> I think nobody actually does parties. that. <laughs> Brandon, have you ever smoked a cigarette before? <laughs> you know how this works. I only like to drink them. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are reasons to not do that that don't have anything to do with this passage is what I'm getting at. Um, but the problem we have is that in English, if you don't live in the South, you don't have a plural word for you. We have one in the South. It's y'all, right? Yeah. But that doesn't sound real proper. So it doesn't, it really should say y'all's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, wow. and that's a good translation actually, except, yeah. uh, y'all's is a, you know, the scholars don't like that. That's great contextualization for yeah. Southern culture. That's great. <laughs> that's right. This man is a genius. <laughs> but so the point what's, being like, my culture tells me that what's most important is me and my individual piety, right? That's yeah. we're individualists. The world of the Bible was a collectivist culture. So what's most important is our collective well-being. Mm -hmm. and our relationship to the whole. And so when the first audience heard your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, they heard your plural body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And your grammatically can mean singular or plural, but we will automatically hear it as singular because we're individualists rather than collectivists, right? Ooh, but like yeah. that, that whole sort of mental framework um, is operating behind everything we are doing. Uh, I hate to be that guy, but the, the book that we mentioned at the beginning, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, does look at eight 
things that, uh, or nine, I guess it's nine things that we, habits that we have as Western people where our culture is different from the culture of the biblical world um, that can kind of help you identify those things. Um, but it's, again, it's just good to be alert to the fact that um, when I read the Bible, I'm not neutral or blank or objective. I'm coming with all kinds of baggage and yep. expectations, etc. And those things have a very heavy influence on what I see in the text when I read it. Um, yep. The good news is, I know we're short on time here, but I, I want to leave people with some. It's your time. So yeah, so. <laughs> um, I think the, the way you get around this, and you've already alluded to this when you talked about reading other books, you know, kind of to help you outside the Bible, uh, reading, uh, reading other books does this, but so does having friendships, relationships with people who are not like you in some way, wow. um, ethnically, socioeconomically, you know, person of a different, the other gender, whatever, um, is, is those people who are not like you are likely to have different assumptions and have different life experiences. So when they see a passage, they may say, um, you know, I may say, well, obviously this passage doesn't mean X. And they would say, wait, why do you say obviously? Because I thought that's what it meant. Hmm. And so just encountering somebody else's assumptions helps you recognize your own, right? And books can do that, right? So you're reading somebody's interpretation of a passage and going, whoa, I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. Really, what that person is doing for you is helping you recognize that when you read it alone, you had certain assumptions about what it meant. And this person has different assumptions about what it means. And that doesn't mean that the person who's different from you is always right. But the fact that they disagree with you helps you because it helps you see what you're taking for granted when you read. Um, and so for us, we've been in a multi-ethnic, bilingual, predominantly Caribbean church for the last two years. And hearing preaching and worship from ethnic minorities who are on the sort of lower end of the socioeconomic scale has helped me see things in the scriptures that I never saw there before. Wow. Um, and so and you've got a PhD I, in studying the scripture, it, right? And I've been studying this stuff for 10 years, right? But it was yeah. not the, and the reading helped, obviously. But also, the, but if I'm reading old white dudes who read old white dudes who teach young white dudes, then we're still kind of like, you know, we may get the behind the stuff, behind the text yeah. stuff. Can get, it doesn't matter who you are, you can excavate the kind of original context. But if people who are very similar to one another are teaching one another all the time, you're really just passing down your assumptions. It's mm. only when you get out of your stream a little bit and say, okay, how does somebody from a different race, gender, socioeconomic situation, different part of the world, how do they hear this? Wow. Um, what do they take for granted? And can they correct me in some way or can I correct them in some way? And I think that mm. both are possible, certainly. Um, that we, um, And I think that that's why the Bible emphasizes, um, you know, the, the, the church grows up in maturity into Christ, right? The individual becomes mature, but you can't become, the goal is not for each of us to become super Christians alone. It's to grow up in unity into the wow. head who is Christ. And I think that's only possible in community in part because all of us only see partially, no matter how hard we work or how sincere we are, we only see partially. But if we're engaged, you know, we're following Jesus together, then the things that you see that I missed 
correct me and sharpen me and make me better. And the things that I see that you miss can correct you and sharpen you and make you better. And then together, we're something that, you know, none of us could have been alone and we weren't designed to, to do it alone. And so I think that there's, even in sort of recognizing the limits and how hard it is to, write, to read the Bible, for example, it's actually a really good argument for why you have to be in community. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're only ever reading by yourself, you're going to hit a ceiling, like you said, where my understanding only goes this far. Because mm. I've asked all the questions I can ask, and I'm aware of all the assumptions that I'll ever be aware of until somebody else speaks into that, and then it raises the ceiling, right? And now, like, there's, there's more possibility um, and more opportunity, and I think that that's not an accident. That's how God designed us, um, so that we would rely on each other to be able to understand him more fully. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I want to add, and then we'll close, is for me, one of the big things as well that blew, or I guess I should say opened up my my eyes, my mind, opened up the scripture for me, really, is I started reading authors from different contexts than mine. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in a non-denominational evangelical church, like what we're in at New Life Church, um, we have certain biases. We just do. And so, you know, for me, I've, when I started reading some Anglican guys like N.T. Wright, you know, he gave me a different perspective. And then all of a sudden you start reading, you know, Tim Keller, who you work for, right? With, yeah. Loosely, yeah. With, yeah. yeah. You work, yeah, you work with him. You know, he's Presbyterian. And so he's got different views. Well, then, you know, you've got like jo- guys like John Piper. Well, Piper and N.T. Wright, you know, they have different perspectives on Paul. Let's take it that way. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for me, that started stretching me and helping me um, because, you know, we can kind of get into an echo chamber sometimes where, Mm -hmm. you know, we just even like, let's take, you know, if you're a Reformed Presbyterian, well, you read the Gospel Coalition guys, you know, Mm -hmm. and you get kind of locked into that. And so I like to try to find people from different contexts to learn from. Um, and that sharpens, you know, it sharpens us. It doesn't, it doesn't have to threaten us, which I think okay. sometimes when we encounter another perspective, it can feel threatening because our faith is so important to us. Um, and, and we should guard, we should guard the truth for sure. That's not what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. what I've, I've learned through the years is getting exposed to some different ways of thinking and really, really helped me. And so yeah. Dr. B, uh, I want to say uh, thank you. Uh, for coming in, do you have any closing thoughts before we before we go? You know, I uh, thanks for asking. I think that the um, I think now is a time, probably the most important time in my adult life, um, and maybe in my life in general, that discernment is really important. Um, there's a lot of people who um, have claims about. Um, there's a lot of people making a lot of claims to ultimate truth right now, right? Mm. That the, the, um, and what it means to be a good person and what it means to be just and what it means to be, you know, right and moral and all of those kinds of things. Um, a lot of the challenges are warranted and should be welcome. We ought to listen to a lot mm. of what's being said. We also have to be discerning about, um, whether we follow all of those warnings and suggestions all the way to the conclusion, all the way to their end, right? And so I think that 
there are probably two temptations right now. One is to say, I hear all these people talking about, you know, uh, these, these different things, what Christians ought to be doing, Christians shouldn't be doing, and they're all wrong, and I'm just going to shut them out. That would mm-hmm. be a mistake. Yeah. It would also be a mistake to say, I hear all these people talking about what Christians should be doing and how Christians should think, and they're exactly right. I'm going to throw away everything I've ever known and jump in. That would also mm-hmm. be a mistake. Yeah. Um, what I would say is let's use those discussions that can be really intimidating and challenging uh, as part of this process of identifying what's in front of the text. So what is it that those people who disagree with me seem to have certain assumptions? What are they? Hmm. And what do those things tell me about my own assumptions? Is it possible that they're right about some of it and I'm wrong? Absolutely. Is it possible that I'm right about some of it and they're wrong? Absolutely. Um, but I think we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't give up our confidence about what's in the Bible. And our current conversations don't tell us a whole lot about what's behind the Bible. They tell us a lot about the first century. But it really can help us sharpen our view of what is in front of the Bible. What's between mm. me and the text? What are my assumptions, my presuppositions? And honestly, my view, and I'm pretty comfortable being uncomfortable, so maybe this won't settle well with everybody. But like, in my view, I think anybody who helps me see what I'm taking for granted is doing me a favor, even if I disagree mm. with them. Um, because I want to follow Jesus in, in spirit and in truth. And if I'm blind to something uh, forever and I'm dogmatic about it, then I'm not following him in truth. Right. Mm. So I think that um, I think we need to show discernment. Um, we need to engage. We need to not just j- jump off the ledge and we need to not, you know, throw up the doors and block everything out. There's some middle space that I think can be really beneficial to us. Um, and, uh, and I think it takes a lot of courage to do, but it, this is a really important time to do it. Yeah. Um, who, who is it who says the truth is like a lion? What's that line? Uh, I'm not you, sure. uh, the truth I think they said the truth is like a lion. Uh, you don't have to defend it. You just have to let it out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's lots of ways you could yeah. go with it, but <laughs> what I found is like God, God can speak for himself. And yep. prove himself true. And in my earlier days, I was very intimidated or very frustrated when I encountered a different view. Um, but yep. now it's like, man, this could teach me more about God. That's right. And who yeah, he is. My, I feel no personal obligation to defend the Bible because <laughs> God defends the Bible. That's not my mm-hmm. job. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my, and I find that when I feel the need to defend the Bible, it's usually because of some insecurity that like, that person's touching on something I'm not sure about. And mm. so I'm not really defending the Bible. I'm defending me, but I kind yeah. of paint it as I, as if I'm being righteous, you know, and defending the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so I think my job is not to defend the Bible. My job is to listen to the Holy spirit and try to understand the Bible. Mm. Um, and I think that that um, is, I think that's what we're all called to do. Right. Um, God can take care of himself. He really can. Yeah. Um and so I don't mean that we shouldn't give, an, give a reason for the faith that we have, that we shouldn't be, you know, um, diligent in conversations about, you know, apologetics and those kinds of yeah. things. But at, my, at the end of the day, I don't convert anyone. Um, the spirit convicts and the spirit converts. That's not my yeah. job. Um, and so I think my job is to submit and surrender and to be open to being wrong. Right. And then saying, yep, I got that one wrong. Let's do it. Let's try again. (laughs) Um, 
And I think the good news is if you're comfortable being wrong, you'll always have something to do because you'll, you'll be wrong a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but That's a fact. I think, yeah, I think, I think we live in contentious times and we need to be open to the fact that we've got some things wrong um, and be open to correction. We also need to be confident that we've got, we've got things right. Yeah. And we need to be willing to, to be courageous about that too. And it's, and it's hard to know where to draw those lines. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to enter those discussions with humility and, and trust God for the results. Amen. Love it. Well, let me pray. All right. God, thank you, thank you for, uh, thank you for this time we got together. God, we pray that, uh, that we would continue to open up and God would just continue to learn and grow. And God, we thank you that that's a lifelong process. And so God, thank you for Dr. B and the time he spent with us. God, we just pray over him and his family. God, we pray together over anybody who's listening in. God, that you would guide them by your Holy Spirit um, to more and more truth, more and more knowledge, more and more faith, more and more hope, and more and more love. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. Just want to say thank you for listening in. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast equips you on your walk, your journey with Jesus. And so please like, subscribe, share, help us spread the word. We love you.